this, uh, this day today is a big deal. Uh, Palm Sunday is a day that begins in Christianity, a week we call Holy Week. Uh, it's a day when Christians everywhere remember the triumphant entry of Jesus into the city of David, the ancient city of Jerusalem, uh, the, the, place, the, the place where so much of the Bible's history kind of revolves around. And, and Jesus, after having taught in a public ministry for about three and a half years, his time had come. And the Bible says he went up to, if you've been to Israel, it's an elevation rise, it's, it's high. And he went up to Jerusalem, and there in, in Jerusalem, he sat down with his followers in what we, as we study the Bible and read the Bible, we, we see a story that we just refer to as the Last Supper. Artists have certainly portrayed it. It's been portrayed in movies. But at the end of the day, Jesus said something that most of those 12 followers didn't want to hear. One of them, Judas, was a betrayer, and he left in the middle of the meal to go and receive his 30 pieces of silver with the religious hypocrites who were soon to charge Jesus in a mock trial, preparing to crucify him. You see, he had disrupted the system. The religious hypocrites who had their political positions of power were having those positions threatened by this revolutionary man named Jesus Christ. And, and Jesus had preached a message of deliverance and hope, a message of freedom. It didn't matter what race you were, what gender you were. He had a message of hope that literally was changing people's lives. And so there that evening, at the Last Supper, he made this statement. He said, I've got to leave you. I'm going to die. And of course, the response by his closest followers, this was not what they wanted to hear. And it began what we now refer to as Holy Week, the events leading up to the crucifixion and the burial in a borrowed tomb of Jesus Christ, leading us to ultimately Easter Sunday morning, the first Easter, Resurrection Sunday. It's, when I think about the life of Christ, and all that he did in just such a short time, three and a half years, and the impact he's had on the world. There's an old song that says all the armies that have ever marched, all the navies that have ever set sail have not impacted the life of man in this world as much as this one solitary man, the man Jesus Christ. But Jesus never wrote a book that we know of. We have no copies of letters that he autographed and signed. And yet, in his short life, in his ministry, in his death, and in his resurrection, his life has influenced the writing of more books, more has been written about him than any other single subject in the history of humankind. When, when you know, let's face it, I, I'm a rocker from the 60s, and, you know, I like it. I, I had something weird happen this last week, Kathy and I. Uh, stopped to get a bite to eat, and we sat down right under a speaker. Because I, I grew up in the 60s, and it was, if, if the music is too loud, you're too old. I mean, it was really that simple. 
And I sat down, I looked at Kathy and I said, man, we're right under the speaker. The music is just too stinking loud. And I went, ah, you know, what happened? But Jesus never wrote a song and yet more songs have been written about Jesus than any other single person. When you study his life and you see all that he did in such a short time and the impact he had, beginning with those 12 followers and then it, it, it grew to 120-ish in an upper room. But the truth is, the impact they had on everything from buildings to architecture, there have been more buildings built and directed toward bringing glory to Jesus. Church buildings throughout history, buildings dedicated to the proposition that Jesus Christ is who he said he was, that he is Lord, that he is God who came down in human form so that he could pay for our sins. I, I remember the first time I saw some of the cathedrals in, in Europe and uh, Notre Dame in, in, in London. I think, I don't know why, but the Canterbury uh, Cathedral in London just blew me away. I mean, this thing is three football fields long. It is over a thousand years old and people still meet there and worship Jesus Christ. In the midst of the, the tour that I went in, a man stood up in a side pulpit and began to read God's word and gave the good news, the gospel of how to have a relationship with Jesus Christ. And I thought as I heard that, how remarkable it is that this one solitary man, Jesus, not born into a wealthy home, Jesus, not someone who was royalty, but Jesus, a humble man raised in the home of a carpenter, born to the Virgin Mary, a man who taught a message that literally changed everything. And that is good news. And that's what the word gospel, it's an old English word, which literally means good news. And so when we measure history, when we measure, if you give the date of your birth, your birthday, you are actually acknowledging the life of Jesus Christ, whether you realize it or not. Because we have divided history with those things that happened before Christ and those things that have happened since his life, death, and resurrection. B.C., A.D., today's date, April 14th, 2019, points us to the man called Jesus Christ. And when you ask yourself the question, how did this happen to go from 12 followers to 2.3 billion people who today around the world are acknowledging that Jesus Christ is Lord, that he came to save us? How did, how did that happen? All of a sudden, 12 people became a third of the world's population are acknowledging Jesus Christ as Lord. What caused all of that? That's what we want to talk about today. I want to talk about the good news of the resurrection, how it can change your life and how it can impact the people you love and those around you. So let me share with you three thoughts. Good news. There's good news about the resurrection and here it is, because 
of the resurrection, I can receive and be filled by God's spirit. Now that, that thought may be something that doesn't maybe fully, com- doesn't really fully communicate to you. It doesn't really settle in, but I, I'd like you to think about this for a minute. I'm only gonna take up a, a couple of minutes, but I wanna show you the significance of what Jesus said at the Last Supper when he told his followers, I'm gonna die. Because if I don't die and I don't leave you, God the Holy Spirit will not come. Now in, in the Old Testament, God the Holy Spirit has always come upon people. But in the Old Testament, theologians have concluded that when the Holy Spirit came upon David to kill and fight Goliath, the, the Bible will say the Spirit of the Lord came upon someone. But in, in the Old Testament, before Christ died, before Jesus, the Spirit would come upon someone for a task and then depart. And, and, and the big difference here is because of the resurrection, because Jesus made a promise. He said, I'm gonna go away and I'm gonna leave someone. And the cool thing, Jesus could only be one place at one time. In fact, do you realize that in his entire three and a half year ministry, he never traveled more than 200 miles away from where his hometown was? And and, and so his life was was fairly compacted into a a small area of of geography. And, And so the few people who heard him live became carriers of the good news. But what he promised was so much better because according to scripture, and the, the Bible is so clear that, that God is one God, but he reveals himself in the form of a father, God the Father, God the Son, Jesus who came 2,000 years ago, and God the Holy Spirit. And, and that is the, the coolest thing about being a Christian to me is that I know according to scripture, not because I felt it or got you know, excited, on a, had an emotional high for a moment, But the Bible says very specifically that when I professed Jesus as Lord, the Holy Spirit came into my life. God, the Holy Spirit. Because the Bible says we're born dead, spiritually dead. And at our salvation, the part of us, because we too are three parts, body, soul, and spirit. And we are born spiritually dead and we are born again spiritually alive. And that is good news. Because you will never be alone again once God the Holy Spirit comes into your heart and into your life. I I wanna read you some scripture. I want you to see this from the words of Jesus, what he promised. And and I think it's gonna mean something to you. Here it is, first of all, let me give you the first passage. Luke chapter 24, verse 49. And now, I will send the Holy Spirit just as my father promised, but stay here in the city until the Holy Spirit comes and fills you with power from heaven. So Jesus speaking to his followers, there at the Last Supper, he says, I gotta go. If I don't go, the Spirit will not come. And so when Jesus returned back to heaven, he said, stay in Jerusalem. Do not leave Jerusalem. Uh, do, Do not go anywhere. Hang in there and wait tarry and wait. Now, stick with me. I'm going to read a couple other verses, and I'm going to tell you the difference between 
receiving the Holy Spirit and being filled with the Holy Spirit. Next verse, Acts 1.8. Again, Scripture says, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you. And you will be my witness, telling people, this is big. You know, it's, it's as much what it doesn't say as what it does say. Because receiving the Holy Spirit has a, a purpose. We receive power for a purpose, and it's right in this verse. You will be my witnesses. You will represent me. And you will tell people about me everywhere, in Jerusalem, throughout Judea. He just took a point in the map where he was in Jerusalem. He began to expand it to Judea, to Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. And that's exactly what happened. The early followers of Jesus took this to heart. And they believed as long as there was someone alive out there who didn't know who Jesus was, it was their job to be a witness and tell people about Jesus everywhere. And, and, and I, I just think this passage is, is so exciting. And, and it moves down one more verse here, and then I'm going to wrap this up with, with two thoughts here on the difference between receiving the Holy Spirit and being filled with the Holy Spirit. Ephesians chapter 5, verse 18. It says, don't be drunk with the wine. Why? Why, why do you want to allow yourself to be controlled in a state of drunkenness? It, it, it is, it's illogical. I, I've, I've been around my share of people who are inebriated. And, and it, it does things to people. People do things under the influence. And I'm not saying that a drink of wine is wrong. That, don't get me wrong here. The Bible is clear. Drunkenness is wrong. So I only preach what I know for sure. And the Bible is saying, don't be drunk with wine. Because that will, what will it do to your life? It will ruin your life. I think everybody here knows somebody who has battled, battled the influence that this is talking about. But then it goes on. Here it is. Instead, be filled with what? The Holy Spirit. Why? Because we want the Holy Spirit to control us. It's not an accident that wine is used as a comparison. Wine that controls you. Don't let that control you. That'll ruin your life. But let the Holy Spirit. You want to be a better man? You want to be a better wife? You want to be a better husband? You want to be better parents? Let, let the Holy Spirit fill you and control you. Now, I want to just share two final thoughts here, and we'll wrap up this first exciting thing about the good news, how that we can receive and be filled with the Holy Spirit. But let me tell you just in a single thought here about what it means to receive the Holy Spirit. I didn't put this in your notes. You can write it if you want to. I receive the Holy Spirit when I am born again. Think about that. I receive the Holy Spirit when I'm born again. Because we are born dead in our trespasses and sin. For we all have sinned, according to Scripture, Romans chapter 3. And so when we are born again, the spirit which is dead within us becomes alive. We are born again. And we, according to Scripture, are sealed at that moment. And this too is a cool part of what happens. Sealed until the day of redemption, until the day we stand in front of Jesus Christ. In other words, we are receiving 
the Holy Spirit at our salvation and we can never lose him. Now his voice can, can become quiet. It's like living with someone who you're not in a good relationship with and you just stop talking. And so there is a second part to this. Because when Jesus saves you, the Holy Spirit enters your life. And whether you felt anything or not, because feeling does not seal the deal here. You received Christ because Jesus made a promise, not because of a feeling. But there's something more than just receiving the Holy Spirit. Just like there's so much more when you build a relationship with someone, the more you get to know them, the more meaningful that relationship becomes, the more filled you become with knowledge about them and your relationship grows. Let me give you a second statement. I am filled with the Holy Spirit as I empty my life of self and become filled with Jesus. Now we all understand the idea of empty, full, being empty, being filled. How, how many of you ate something yesterday? Would you raise your hand? You ate something. How many of you had nothing yesterday? Okay. For, for the most part, you people are, are well fed. Okay. You, you had something to eat. Now, how many of you plan on eating something today? Maybe you already have. Would you raise your hand? Why, why do you do that? Why, why do you eat again? You ate yesterday, come on. What's the big deal? We get hungry. You see, we eat, we become filled. Our, our life burns the calories, the energy from what we eat. And we wake up the next day, we're hungry again. And so what do we do? We eat again. And, and our spiritual life is very much the same way. We, we receive the Holy Spirit when we're born again. But it is our place to empty ourselves. Some of you say, well, I don't feel like I'm filled with the Holy Spirit. Part of the issue there for many is their life is so filled with other stuff. You're trying to fill the God-shaped hole inside of you with pleasure. You're trying to fill it with entertainment or hobby. And there's nothing wrong with entertainment or a hobby. All things in moderation, all things in a balanced way. All things that help maybe renew us and give us greater physical energy and strength so that we can in our spiritual life grow stronger. You need a healthy body, healthy body, healthy soul. Your mind, healthy spirit should all go together. We're not saying forget about your body. Eat when you're hungry. But please hear me when I say this. The issue of being filled with the Spirit goes back to Ephesians chapter 5, and in the original Greek languages, there's a tense there that really implies keep on being filled. It's not a one-time thing. It's not you eat once and, boy, I'm done forever. It is to be filled every day, and the key to being filled is to empty yourself of self, anger, pride, jealousy, the things that are tearing us apart, the things that are causing our, our relationships to break down, the things that are robbing us of our joy, those are the things we empty ourselves of. How do we do it? We acknowledge them as sin and we say, Lord, I, I'm sorry, I really need some help with this anger issue. Man, this is, a, this is a real deal. If you're filled with anger, you will not be filled with the Holy Spirit. 
And it's not just a man thing. Men, women, students. When we get hurt, you see, hurt people hurt other people. And, and until we forgive and move forward, our hearts are filled with hurt. And hurt is just an inch away from anger that turns to bitterness that ultimately tries to lash back out at others. And so I am filled with the Holy Spirit as I empty my life of self and become filled with Jesus. And that is one of the, the greatest things about being a Christian. You, you, this is good news. You can replace anger with joy. You, you can replace bitterness with forgiveness. You, you can fill your heart with the love of Christ. And that is really good news. Next, good news because of the resurrection. I can live my life without guilt. This is a big deal. It's huge. I don't have to live with guilt and shame anymore because Jesus paid for my sins. He died on the cross. He took my place. In fact, just this one little thought. You, I may have to say it a couple of times. Jesus was nailed on the cross so that you don't have to nail yourself to the cross. And that's exactly what we do with guilt. We are trying to make ourselves pay for something we've done wrong and we've all messed up. There is no one here without sin. Every one of us have hurt someone else. Every one of us have been hurt. Every person here has fallen short. You have disappointed yourself, but you do not have to nail yourself to the cross of guilt. You can accept the gift of Christ, and that is good news because of the resurrection. I can live my life without guilt. We're all familiar with guilt. If I asked you right now to take a piece of paper and write down the things you messed up on, most of you would, first of all, cover up the paper so no one would see it, and you'd start writing away, and, and you might have to get a second piece of paper and maybe a third, but the forgiveness of Christ asks us not to keep a record. Don't write it down. Forgive yourself when God forgives you. Let me give you some verses here. Let me give you three passages that just make such actually huge difference when it comes to this issue of how we can live without guilt. First of all, because Ephesians 1.7 says, he is so rich in kindness and grace that he purchased our freedom with the blood of his son and forgave our sins, all of our sins. Ephesians chapter 1, verse 7. Hebrews chapter 10, verse 22. says, let us go right into the presence of God with sincere hearts, fully trusting him. Just a side thought for a moment. I, I love it when somebody asks me to pray for them. But do you know every one of us? We can go directly. That's, that's one of the, the real fundamental values that came from the Protestant Revolution. That, that people realized suddenly they didn't have to go through another man, another person, to be absolved of their sins. That, that we can go directly into the presence of God with sincere hearts, fully trusting in him. And then it goes on to say, for our guilty consciences... You want, you want an answer to a guilty conscience? 
Apply the blood of Christ. They have been sprinkled with the blood of Christ to make us clean. And our bodies have been washed with pure water. Pure water. We're going to have a baptismal service here, I think the second Sunday, possibly the 9th of June. And there are many of you who are new in the faith. Baptism doesn't wash away your sins, but it lets the world know that the water of the word of God has washed your heart clean. And it lets the world know that Christ lives within you. And and this passage is so exciting to me because it, it tells me that I can trust him to remove guilt, to remove the shame, to remove the hurt. Next verse, 1 John 3.10. I'm glad that this is in God's word. Even if we feel guilty, let me say something about guilt. Emotions and feelings oftentimes betray us. You, You can't allow your life to be driven completely by emotions. I'm not saying you become stoic and shove aside all emotions. I'm just simply saying you are forgiven not because you feel forgiven. You're forgiven because God made a promise. This verse goes on to say, God is greater than our feelings. Aren't you glad for that? And he knows everything. So God already knows everything about you. And he is willing to forgive you. So so lots of people have been born again, but hang on to guilt. Hang on to the stuff that they've done, the things they've done to mess up. And feelings are a part of it because they do betray us. But when we are forgiven, that's good news. And when Jesus said, and Scripture goes on to say that our sins are buried in the deepest sea, never to remember more that God will actually choose to shove them aside and forgive them. They are covered by the blood of Christ. That's good news. Finally, number three, good news. Because of the resurrection, I can live with purpose and meaning. Let's look immediately at our scriptures here, okay? Fill that in if you're following along. I can live my life with purpose and meaning. Mark chapter 8, verse 35 says, if you try to hang on to your life, you'll lose it. But if you give up your life for my sake and for the sake of the good news, you see that in there? We're back to the good news. If you give up your life for the sake of the good news, you will save it. He's not talking about being nailed to a cross and giving up your life as a martyr. He's talking about giving up like the song says. We started in worship today talking about how some of our dreams, we've set them aside. What? For the sake of Jesus Christ and the sake of good news. You know, I'm not saying don't have dreams. Have dreams. But make sure those dreams line up with what God's purpose for your life is really is. Next verse. So I run with purpose, and I love this passage because Paul, I think, was a sports fan. He lived in a world that the ancient Greek Olympic games were very much a part of Roman culture, and so he uses a couple of illustrations that the common person could understand. So I run with purpose in every step. He says, I'm not out for a jog. I am running with purpose. Then he says, I'm not just shadow boxing. I'm not just punching out at the air. I'm swinging at something that's really there. We talked about the good news about faith just a couple uh, days ago. And, and the important thing for you to hear me say is that when he's talking about boxing and, uh, and, and wrestling, he talks about that in the book of Ephesians, he's talking about spiritual warfare and how these combatants, the lust of the flesh, the pride of life, 
Those things are very real. And he says, I'm not out there pretending in shadow boxing. I'm just not out for a jog. I am in a battle and I do this with purpose. Next verse. 1 Thessalonians 2.4. Would you guys read this one with me? We're about wrapping it up here. And I'd like to read this out loud. Would, would you do that? Let's join our voices together as one. For we speak as messengers approved by God to be entrusted with the good news. Our purpose is to please God, not people. He alone examines the motives of our hearts. Wow, that's filled with insight. You, because of the relationship you have with Jesus Christ, have, according to this passage, been made a messenger, approved by God, entrusted with a, an incredible assignment. It is now our place to share the good news. Just like the 12 shared it with the initial people who heard that Jesus was alive. You see, uh, on Palm Sunday, the crowds gathered together in mass and said, wow, Hosanna, they hoped he would be the promised Messiah and King, but they were looking for a political leader. And so a few days later, the same people became an angry mob because he didn't meet their expectations and they cried out, crucify him, crucify him. Together with the religious hypocrites, the Bible calls them the Sadducees and the Pharisees, the, the council, the religious mob. And oftentimes religious people get this wrong because here it is, it's really this simple. Jesus didn't come to give us religion. Jesus came to give us a relationship with him, to give us forgiveness. And that is good news. And that is what remains for all of us today. And, and so I only have one more question because we're talking about he came to give us purpose. It's not in your notes, but, but I want you to see this, okay? How? I'm closing with a question. How will I fulfill my purpose during this special week, Holy Week? A week when Christians set aside time to think about the events that led up to the crucifixion, Good Friday, and ultimately Easter Sunday morning. I think this passage we just looked at in 1 Thessalonians chapter 2, verse 4, I think it has the key to our purpose. If you have been born again, God has entrusted you with the privilege of sharing the good news with someone else. We talk here at Connect Church, and before that, ABT. We talk a lot about building relationships with others for the purpose of loving them in Jesus' name. To be a friend, to be authentic in every way. But if you know the cure to cancer, what kind of friend would you be not to tell your friend? I mean, stop and think about that one. We, we know there is a cure for man and woman's greatest sickness. Humankind is afflicted with a virus called sin. And sin will drag us down, make us less than what God created us to be. Because God created us, here it is, the ultimate purpose. He created us to have a relationship with him. You, you may look back, maybe somebody along the way says you were, maybe somebody's told you, you were unwanted or unplanned. I, I've had people tell me, yep, I've had people in my family tell me I was not wanted 
I was not planned. Let me tell you a little secret. God planned you. And his purpose is to have a relationship with you. And if you don't know him, there's never going to be a better time than today. You don't have to wait till Easter. You can enter into his presence, receive his Holy Spirit, be forgiven of your sin, and be born again today. Let's stand quietly. Would you do that with me? Lord, I, I pray if there's anybody here today who doesn't know for sure that heaven is their home, if they don't know they have a relationship with you, I pray that right now, Lord, while we stand together, that they would whisper a prayer, ask for forgiveness, confess to you, Jesus, that they believe you are who you said you were, that you are God, that you died on the cross. And I pray they would believe by faith that you rose again. And I pray they would invite you into their life, that they would be born again today. Lord, finally, I, I pray for those of us who have been entrusted with this good news, may we use this Holy Week to invite others to come to Easter services to consider the good news that you gave us. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen.